All right. How many of you are ready to hear the, the word of God this morning? Amen. I was uh, telling Pastor Xavier yesterday, you know, I was there working on my message and then about 10 o'clock at night, I was like, all right, put that one on pause and go somewhere else tomorrow. I don't know if you've ever had to deliver a presentation or do some sort of thing for work or whatever, and then all of a sudden the thing you thought you were going to do all of a sudden gets changed on you. I don't know how you feel, all right, how exciting, how excited you are about that, but I got excited because I feel like God was saying, speak this. I want to share this for someone or some, somebody's got to hear this this morning. And so, you know, let me give you a glimpse as to what happened in my car this morning. Uh, it is below freezing temperature today, right? And so my wife and I are, are coming to church and uh, we hopped in my car. My little Toyota Corolla, which by the way, just uh, last month reached its 200,000th mile. Woohoo! It's still going strong, baby. My brother-in-law said, apart from the rust, it's a great car. And so, you know what, Jesus, thank you for the provision that you've given me, and I will steward that as long as I can, and you know what, but a new car is, is, is due at some point, my wife keeps telling me. Anyways, we were driving in my car, and uh, coming to church, and a little red light, yellow light, was shining on my dashboard, and my wife said, isn't it funny, wouldn't it be hilarious this morning if we got stuck on the side of the road? Wouldn't it be so funny? Why? Because, Brian, you're constantly telling me, uh, fill up your gas tank. You're constantly asking me, why do you wait until the light shows up so you can stop at the gas station, Brian? You're always asking me that question. And I'm thinking, God, please help me not to eat my words right now. And as I'm driving with below zero temperatures, coming to church, knowing that I need to get here, there's still things to be done. And, and, and we, we were out here yesterday salting the driveway and the walkways. And I show up this morning and I look on the cameras and there's still ice everywhere. I'm like, I got to get to church. I got to get things ready. We got to do things. We're excited for what God's doing. Lord, please don't let us get stuck on the side of the road because I have no gas in my car. Have you ever been driving and you have that experience, that light goes on? There's no gas station in sight. You are wondering, your car is like mine. It doesn't tell you how many more miles until empty, okay? My little car is a 06. Some of you guys got fancy things, and so it helps you with your anxiety. You look at that and it says your range until empty is 17 more miles. You're like, yeah, no sweat. Church is only 10 miles. I'll be fine. I'll find a gas station. Anybody been there? You know, you're, you're, you're going somewhere and the empty light is there. You are dealing with a certain circumstance and you feel like you're empty. Anybody ever been in there in that situation? You know, I think that this last couple of years has uh, allowed us a glimpse, whether we are drivers or not, to experience what life can be like when we are feeling empty. You know, things are not working the way that they're supposed to be working. Things don't look the way that we want them to look. I'm not experiencing this the way that I would want. And so, you know what? I'm just feeling empty. Have you, have you come to a point, like sometimes this happens to me, that I'm like, oh, I just don't have it within me to deal with this situation right now. I just don't have enough energy. I just don't have enough. Is my mic cutting off? I think it is. All right, it is. So let's transition. Sometimes I wonder, like... I, I don't know. I need to do something. 
I, I, I know I must do something. I know I should say something. I know I should feel something. I know I should, you know, be, be doing something or taking care of something or, or meeting a responsibility. But, but all that I feel at this moment is I feel empty. Anybody ever been there? I just feel empty. I don't want to give another little bit of advice. I don't want to say something. I don't care what I look like. I don't care that I need to be doing this. I don't care what the expectation for me is. Why? Because I just feel empty. Anybody been there? You know, I, I don't have anything to deal with this situation. I feel like this. I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing inside. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I feel empty. And you know what? For a person that's in my shoes that has to come up here and every week spend time in this world and bring you something of content and something of value. It's like Craig Rochelle spoke in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. He has seasons of intense content issue where he felt blocked and empty. That is a very scary place to be in. And it's a scary place to be in when we have a situation we have to deal with something. We have to solve an issue. We have to meet a challenge. We have an impossible circumstance. We have a desperate need, something within our lives that needs to be resolved. It's a point of pain and tension and sorrow and hurt, and we don't have anything. We feel empty to meet the need and the problem. If I'm in the right church this morning, can someone say amen? So, I was thinking about that last night. As I was preparing a different message, uh, that thought came into my mind. It's like, Brian, you felt empty before, haven't you? I kind of feel like there's a point in time where we go through this. And maybe there's somebody right now that is feeling empty beyond all else. So, let's transition. I said, God, why do you want to say this? And where can I go to this? And, and, and what scripture do you want me to look at, God? And why are you speaking this to me? And God just put down on my heart the scripture that we have in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages. And I feel that God wants to speak to us. And the, the title of the message is, Are You Empty Enough? Empty Enough. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn there for a little bit because I think that there's a beautiful, beautiful scripture here. There's a beautiful text that God allows to be recorded, memorialized in all of the gospel and in all of his word for us to be able to see. It's the Old Testament, the gospel uh, concealed that the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. In the New Old Testament here, we have the gospel concealed that God puts in here, a beautiful message for us. And God wants us to see something out of the emptiness, out of the brokenness, out of the feeling drained moment, and, and something he wants to speak to us this morning. So if you're there, say amen. It's going to read the first three verses and we'll park. One day, the widow of a member of a group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. Pause. My husband who served you and feared the Lord is dead. Just, just let that sink in for a second because, you know, trouble, turmoil, issues, challenge, pain, sorrow, all that stuff. You know, sometimes we step into church world and we start saying that belongs to the people who don't know God. 
But hey, my husband who served you, who loved the Lord, he is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of oil. Olive oil, she replied. Stop right there. Father, I thank you for your word. And I just ask you, Lord, just just cut through everything that was pre-planned. Lord, you have a divine moment here. I know you do. So speak your words of life and truth in our hearts. Encamp your Holy Spirit around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. A man is dead. A man who loved the Lord. And what took him out? What is it? Was it disease? Was it a challenge? Was it an accident? What was it that affected him? We know that this is during the time of Jezebel and Ahab. Could it have been that one of Jezebel's hitmen came and took out this prophet of God, this man of God, this servant, this Bible school student, this prophet who itinerated and went around teaching as he followed Elisha and Elijah? Did Jezebel take him out? Did sickness, did something come? You know, we don't know. What we do see is that there's a surviving wife and there's two surviving sons. And these two have, these three have a desperate situation now left in front of them. There's a massive debt that is there. There is a problem within the home. How did this man come into debt? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Could it have been just a fact that there was a downturn in the economy and he couldn't keep up? Could it have been that he lost his business? Could it have been that he just did not have the proper tools and understanding to manage that which God had given him? Could it have been his own folly? Could it have been any one of these things? We don't know. We just know that this man had a debt and he's no longer around to deal with it. To solve it. He didn't, the resource that was necessary to deal with it was not bestowed and left for his wife, his successor. Nobody knows what's going on, but what we do know that there's a sad funeral at some point. There's few people who come down. People stop for for this burial, and now the, the, the situation is there, and this woman who has to not only grieve her husband is left with the bleeding heart. Why? Because there's now creditors coming to the door. There is a difficult situation. I wonder, how did she pay for his burial? How did she pay for for that? Did did she take the the furniture that was at home and start selling it and, and amassing it all so that she could pay for the burial and take care of the expenses and get the mourners and the whalers to come and all the different things that they would do culturally? I don't know what was happening, and yet here this woman is in a very desperate situation, grieving the loss of her husband, and the collectors are on their way. Not long after the funeral, I can imagine her day in and day out, she's, she's just thinking, oh man, what? we don't know how long has transpired before, you know, since her husband passed away and the burial. We don't know how long it took before the, the creditors showed up, but here she is. And that day that she dreaded, because she knows that that is there, the, dread, the day that she had nightmares over, that there's going to come a knocking on the door. 
There's a person who's going to show up and they're going to demand that which is theirs. And I'm going to have to meet that person at the door and say, I don't have anything. I'm empty. I can't solve this issue. I can't deal with your need. I can't supply to you what you desire. I have nothing. And she knows very well that the law has afforded, the the law in which she is a part of, for back in Exodus, back in Leviticus, back in Deuteronomy, in the law of Moses, there is stipulations for if a person has a debt that they can serve as a slave in order to pay off that at up to the year of Jubilee. So she knows in this society, in this world that I live in, men are the one who work. Women don't typically work. They're at home taking care of the house. And so I know that on that day when this man shows up and he demands what is his, I've got nothing else to give. I'm empty. What do I have? I have two sons, not daughters. I got two sons. And the only family I have left will be taken for me. What will become of them? How will they be treated? Where will they go? How will I survive? I can't work. I don't have a means within this society. I am marginalized. I don't have a way out of my desperate situation. What will happen of me? What will happen of my sons? Can you feel the tension? Are you there? So sometimes we read the, the Bible and we say, well, you know what? That's not happened to me. I, I, I'm not in that type of exact scenario. So I'm, but can we just extrapolate the desperateness of this woman? The emptiness of this woman and how she does not have a single thing to solve her issue. Her situation is not one that anyone would want to sign up for. And so this lady is empty. Turn your neighbor and say, she's empty. She's empty. Lord, what can we glean out of this? What can we take out of this? I imagine this woman in the middle of her emptiness. I imagine some of us in this time and season of dealing with COVID and, and going through all the changes and fluctuations of how life is now in this day and age and everything that is happening around us. And we look at the needs outside. We look at the issues that are facing us down. We look at what's happening and we say, Lord, I feel empty to lead and deal and meet all of this. first thing that I just want us to just anchor in our hearts, I felt like God was speaking to us is this, is that he who seeks the will of God finds more than he seeks. This is a principle that we can take with us and carry with us if we just look at this woman's story, if we just look outside of this passage, and if we look at the extent of the Gospels and the rest of God's word, he who seeks God, he who seeks God's will finds more than he seeks. Amen? Here, a woman who is in the middle of her pain and her sorrow. She's got nothing to do. She has nothing to meet the need in front of her. Not a penny to rub together and pay her creditors off. What does she encounter? 
she shows up to Elisha. I find it interesting. As she's in the middle of her need, she shows up to the man of God and says, hey, my husband served you. My husband was one of your pupils, one of your students. He used to hear you and Elijah preaching. He used to come around when you guys came into town so that he could be encouraged by you in the word of God. And he said, here I am, Lord, use me. I'm going to go work a secular job. I'm going to deal with myself, but I'm going to itinerate. I'm going to go preach. I'm going to be a student of the word, and I'm going to go and communicate the gospel. I'm going to go preach. And so this man was a man that he followed. He was a student. Elijah, Elisha, I mean, he was one of yours. Elisha, I want you to remember what he did and who he was because, Elisha, I want you to beckon. I want you to turn your attention. I want you to come. And this woman met the man of God, the prophet, in a way that she was expressing, hey, I'm trying to connect with God. I'm trying to reach out to God. I'm seeking God's will in the middle of my circumstance, and the best way in which I'm going to do it is to approach the man of God. She showed up to Elisha, the representative of God, and said, Lord, I'm seeking you by seeking after your representative. God, I need something. And isn't it funny that when she gets there, she does not get a wad of cash. She does not get a bag of money. She does not get a perfect strategy and an incredible plan that's detailed and orchestrated and got line items and bullet points and all these different things. When she shows up there, what does she find? Way more than she was seeking. I came here seeking an answer, God. I came here seeking something that you can do for me. I want you to get me out. I want an answer out of my pain, out of my debt. I want something that will save my sons and keep them from going into slavery. That will ensure a future for me because I don't have a means and an end to, to, to get out of this situation. God, I need an answer. And what does she find when she gets to the man of God? He says to her, uh, what can I do to help you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing. nothing. I have nothing except a flask of oil. And number three, what does he say? The first beginning of verse three. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbor. God, I came here asking for an answer. You told me to get into more debt? I came here wanting a solution out. You're asking me to dig the hole deeper? God, I need you to solve my issue. Don't perpetuate my problem. God, I want you to come through and meet me in this way. What are you doing taking me all the way over here? Hello? God? When I started coming back to faith, because I walked away in my college years and did my own little thing to my mother's, you know, discontent. But yet she kept praying for me and praised the Lord. That prayer is answered by our Lord. Amen. But one thing I remember expressly asking my mentor at the time, I said, I just want God to give me a map. So I don't make the wrong decisions and I don't go over. I want an answer and I want this. God sending me all the way over here. She's like, if you get a map, man, we're going to have a problem. She was a lot more crude than that. She said, I'm going to punch you. That's what she said. But here's the deal. I wanted the answer. I wanted God to answer in this way and do this and move in this way and establish it in this timing and in that method and avoid this issue and that issue. And yet, when we seek God, he who seeks God finds more than he seeks. 
God says, you know what? You want an answer. I'm going to take you into a painful journey. You want an answer. I'm going to take you into the valley. You want an answer. I'm going to walk you through a storm. I'm going to go with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And we are going to learn some things because he who seeks God's will finds way more than he bargained for. You know, stop and think about this with Elisha. Pastor Xavier shared an excellent message last week, and that's what got me like thinking on this message. And uh, he, he said how Elisha asked Elijah, his mentor, I want a double portion of what you've got. And in that moment, you know, Elisha says to him, yo, you've asked a hard thing. I can't give you that. But stop and think about this. When Elisha asked, we discussed it in our small groups, you know, what was that all about? You know, just, why is he asking for more? He just wants to one-up his, his mentor. He just wants to, you know, go above and beyond his mentor. You know, he's asking for his own pride and his own, you know, trophy case. Look what I can do. I can do better. You know, what, what was the deal? We talked about that. It was a great conversation. And here's the deal. I don't think that he, he wanted it just so he can showcase more trophies than Elijah. But he asked God for more power. Why? Because he knows that the need, the responsibility was great. He knows that what he needed to step into and what he needed to accomplish was going to be something that was costly, something that was very difficult to do. And so he needed a greater portion of God's anointing in order to meet the issue and the solution. We think we need God in one way, but God says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to do more. I don't imagine that at that moment when he asked God for a double portion, that he realized that him asking that was about to save two sons. I don't think that he realized that when he asked for that, he was going to do all that he did. I don't think Moses, when he asked God to be used and to, to be the deliverer, that he understood that it was going to take him years and years and years in the desert. I don't think that uh, John the Baptist, when he answered the call of being a voice crying out in the wilderness, that he knew that he who seeks God's will gets way more than he bargained for, that it was going to end up being a place where he was going to lead the way for the Messiah. But not only that, that he was going to encounter persecution. That he was going to encounter way more than he expected. If, if God told you, okay, just stop and think about this. If God told you, all right, what you would be doing and living and accomplishing, the level of your faith today, the, the number of problems and challenges that you would be facing, the, the, the leadership struggles that you would have to deal with. If he had told you that at the beginning of your journey, how many of you guys would have said, yeah, sign me up right now. Here we go. Let's go. Parents, if you really got that full manual that explained everything that parenting is, I bet you so many of us would say, nope, I ain't taking you out on a date. Ah, I got the gift of celibacy, baby. See, we, he who seeks God's will finds more than what he seeks. And the beauty in that is God comes through and he gives us more than what we have asked. More in the blessings and more in the trials. Because it says that in this world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He who seeks God finds more than what he seeks. And I praise God. 
I praise God that when I said, Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, here I am. I want to be humbled to your plan in my life. I am glad that he didn't just answer my prayers at the point of how I pray them, but he brought me into something greater. How many of us have experienced more from God as a result of seeking his will? Say amen. Can, can I get a praise today in this place? I just feel like preaching today, and I'm excited to be in the house of God. Can somebody be excited with me and say, Lord, thank you that you give us more than what we are seeking. Hallelujah. I imagine, you know, this, this woman at that place, God, I need an answer. What the heck are you doing giving me more debt, more issues, more emptiness, more brokenness, more pain, and more things to remind me of what I don't have? Are you empty enough? I don't think you're empty enough. Go ask for more emptiness. Go ask for more brokenness. Go ask for more of this. You know, God is so much more. I see it in the scripture, Psalms 37, 4. He wrote this, the psalmist, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Our Lord tells us as recorded in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added unto you. When he who seeks the will of God finds more than he seeks, oh, there's so much incredible things that's possible through our Lord. He who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine is what the Bible says. So some of us, we need to start saying, Lord, I want to seek your will. Maybe this morning we just have to start saying this. This will be the principle for some of us here. God, I just want to seek your will because I want to find the more that is possible. The more challenges, therefore, meaning the more dependency points on you, the more victories, because then there's more places and opportunities for me to praise and glorify you. God, I want to seek first your kingdom and all the more you shall add unto me because I seek you. I get more. Amen. What else can I see in this passage here? As, as this woman is in the middle of her pain, she shows up to the man of God and she's seeking God. She's getting more than she sought after. What do I see? I see this, that God meets us at the most common point of our need. He sees us and meets us at the most common point of our need. It's not extravagant. It's boiled down to the most common denominator. To the most simple, to the most simplified thing, to the most basic of things, God meets us. Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil, except a flask of oil. A flask that might have been the residue of what she used to anoint her dead husband at the burial. I got just the leftovers of that small little flask. That's all I've got. That's all I have. How often, church, do we see God start something in the scriptures with nothing. Somebody, do you remember sometime that God started something out of nothing? Anybody? Anybody? Did God start something out of nothing? Did he ever, you know, take something of small significance, something that was of small quantity, something that was of small caliber, and he took something that was nothing, something that was little, and he turned it into much? We see this all throughout, whether it's the, the little loaves and fishes, whether it is the absolute nothing of creation. And he burst life and filled something and created out of nothing. God is in the process of bringing things at the most common basic denominator. Nothing. Little. 
almost nothing, and he can do something with it. This widow was very poor indeed. She had nothing. She didn't have resources. She probably sold all the furniture. She got rid of all of her stocks and investments. She sold and cashed in her 401k. She got rid of everything. She sold the dog, and she got rid of everything within her house. She had nothing, and at this point in time, what do you have? I have a small flask of oil in my house. That's all I've got. That's all I have. And so this woman, I just imagine her at this point hearing the man of God say, go borrow more jars that are empty. See, he didn't give her the strategy and say, I want you to go knocking door to door. Here is the thing. You are in debt. You need to pay a bill. They're going to come and take your sons. So let's have the biggest community yard sale that there possibly could be right now. Let's put banners all the way to Gilgal, Jericho, Jordan. Let's go everywhere and put all these signs and we're going to have a massive yard sale, garage sale, whatever, a camel back sale, whatever it is that you want to call it. We are going to have a sale. So go around asking your neighbors, you got any junk that you want to get rid of? Any, you know, good junk, right? Things that are useful. Something that somebody, you know, one man's uh, trash is another man's treasure. You got any of those things that you want to give to me? I want you to go and ask for the empty vessels. Don't go there and ask her, what do you have that's valuable that you could part with, that you could help this little widow here and save my two little sons? My GoFundMe page, what do you have that you can contribute and you help me with something that is valuable? No, hey, um, is there any empty garbage bins in your house? Do you got any, you know, Gatorade containers? Do you have any of those little cans? I don't care if it has no, you lost the lid, no problem, give me in. You got any saucers? You got any bowls? You got, you got any cups? You got any, anything that is empty? Oh, you, oh, it's got something in it? Hold on, let me empty this out real quick. All right, I'll take it now. I don't need it with anything in it. No, just give it to me empty. Give it to me with nothing. Give it to me completely devoid of anything of value. I want it completely empty. Imagine her boys going around the neighborhood asking. They know they are going to be the ones that have to bear the burden and the brunt of what is going to happen to them. I can't imagine, man, sending my son. Go knock on every door and ask every person to give you empty vessels. Sit with the tension and the pain and the anticipation that you're going to go ask people for something empty of no value. And what is waiting for you at the other end of that is a creditor coming to enslave you and take you away from home and subject you to things you don't want to do and have to do some hard labor and live years without your dreams and your purpose. Maybe never accomplish that which you were destined to accomplish. I want you to go into the neighborhood with all of that hovering over you, and go ask for empty things. Man, how desperate and gloomy and depressive that is for these boys to go out. Yet these boys went anyways, this woman went anyways, and they went around and asked. And you know what? This lady must have been a really good steward at some point. Why? Because everybody complied. We don't hear of anyone who said, no, you can't have my empty jars. You ain't going to give it back. I lent you something years ago. I never got it back. I lent you something years ago. And you know what? Not only did I not get it back, you broke it. Ouch. She goes, gets all these empty things, and she comes. 
See, God met her at her most basic common need. Hey, look, you don't have it all together. You don't have all the resources. You don't have the qualifications. You don't have this and that. You don't have the intellect. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have the charisma. You don't have whatever it may be, whatever you might feel like needed to be within the vessels. I want you to go and grab it empty. You don't have it, but I'm going to meet you at the point of your common need. What do you have? You got some liquid at home in the form of olive oil. You've got some sort of oil at your house in a flask. And so I want you to go and grab more empty vessels. Church, I just, you know, this thought came to me. Could it be that in the moment of our pain and our sorrow and our need and our issue and our impossibility, that maybe we're just too full? We're too full of all the wrong things. Could it be that we're just too full of our own self-dependency, too full of our own pride, our arrogance, too full of our own ability, too full of our own dreams, too full of the way that we think life has to be, too full of all that we think needs to happen in this moment and other, all too full of bitterness and pain and sorrow and trauma and unforgiveness and whatever it may be. We're too full of self, too full of whatever, and we are not empty to the point where we need God to meet us. Nothing. I want nothing inside of it. I think that it might be safe to say that some of us may not be experiencing God or seeing God move in our circumstance because we're just way too full. We have too much within our own self that we do not experience his grace because we've crowded him out. Meister Eckert, a Dominican monk in the 13th, 14th century, he said, We must be emptied of all created things to be full of God and what he wants to birth within us. Is that not what Mary did? If you stop and consider that virgin who heard this incredible thing, I'm seeking God's will in my life and whoa, have I met more than I was seeking. What? But I'm going to do this in my life. I'm going to be this in my life. I've got a reputation, God. God, I got this plan. I want to go to school. I want to become this. I want to become that. I want to have a family and and be well uh, of well standing within the community. I have all these plans of what my life is going to look like, God. But Mary treasured in her heart the words of the angel. And she meditated on them constantly. She emptied herself of what she thought she needed to be or could be, and she allowed God to say, hey, what you want to birth within me, your very son, I'm going to allow myself to be empty to your will. I spent way too long here, but I came across a story that I think is so appropriate for us as we're going to take communion in just a little bit. I read the story of a pastor named Richard Wormbrandt. He's got an incredible book. And I'll give you more details later, but he spent 14 years in Romanian captivity, three of which he spent in solitary confinement, all because of his faith, all because he would not renounce communism and he, uh, he would not accept communism and renounce Jesus. He said communism and Christianity do not mix. And because of that, he was incarcerated. And in the early years of being in confinement, he and the other prisoners, there were other Christians there, they, they developed a method of communication where they would tap Morse code on the pipes and they would communicate back and forth to each other. And so one day they decided, hey, let's have communion. And that broke Richard's heart because he so desperately wanted to have communion. 
And he tapped back the message, sorry, we can't do this. We don't have the elements. We don't have the bread. We don't have the wine. We cannot have communion. We can't do it in this place. And when Richard stopped and contemplated his message, just as soon as he sent it, he felt the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. And he said this, nothing is what I use to create the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And you can have communion with the most precious commodity, which is nothing. And after he got out of prison, after he escaped that torment, after years and years, he said, he contemplated on that experience, and he said this, that the most meaningful times that he's had in his Christian walk was some of the most meaningful times where was those moments where they celebrated communion. He broke the bread and drank of the wine in absolute nothingness and with nothing. He would just hold up his empty hand and he would do the symbolism of breaking of the bread and nothing was there. And he would tap the message on the pipe and says, now do this in remembrance of me. Nothing. God always meets us as our most common point of need. I don't know what you have. I don't know what you're depending on. I don't know what you might be experiencing today. But let me just say that if you've got nothing... If you've got very little, you've got all you need. You've got everything you need because God can do something out of your nothing. Lastly, I see here as we're just looking at principles within this passage that this woman is told to go outside, to borrow vessels from all her neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few, by the way. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour the olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. And she did what she was told. That verse right there, she did as she was told. See, the principle I take out of this is that, you know what? The size of our faith is in direct proportion to the size of our blessing. The size of our faith is in direct proportion to the size of our blessing. The story doesn't say how this woman went. She just went and borrowed pots, empty pots. She borrowed anything that could hold liquid in it. I would imagine that's what I would have done. I don't care if you lost the lid. I don't care if it's got a slow leak in it. Just give me something that will hold some liquid. Why? Because the man of God said, bring empty vessels. He didn't say, bring just jars, bring clay jars, bring glass jars, bring buckets, bring containers. He said, bring vessels. We might have an understanding of what God wants us to do and, and be, and we limit our, ourselves to just one way of this happening, one way that God can intervene, one way in which he can answer our need. But yet he said, go get as many, not too few. Get whatever you can, as long as it's empty. I don't know if she went around and she grabbed 20. I don't know if she grabbed 2,000. I don't know if she asked for 200. I don't know if she asked for 20,000. I don't know how many jars this woman could have amassed in this period of time. We don't know how long it took. We don't know when the creditor was coming back. We just know that she asked the man of God and he gave her clear instructions and she went and saw what she needed to do. She grabbed the vessels and that is that. How many? We don't know. But I do know this. I would venture to say that this woman grabbed the number that was based on the amount of faith she was willing to risk. Can you just think about that for a second? 
It was based on the number of faith she was willing to risk. Because after all, if this God of Elisha didn't come through, man, I got to go back and give this one to Pastor Xavier. I got to go back and give this one to Eleanor. Man, I got to go back and give this one to Sergio. I got to go back and give this one to Kim. I got to go back and give as many as I have asked, as many as I have risked, as many as I'm going to have to step before the people and risk the embarrassment and risk God not having coming through and risk this. See, we will risk, we will have faith to the level in which we want to risk. So she grabbed just as much as she was willing to risk. Isn't that funny, huh? Oh, oh, you're having a sickness or an issue. What is it? Oh, you got a headache? Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, in your mighty name, I want you to come and heal this, this, this migraine off of my brother and sister. God, you can touch their head. You can, Lord God, bring them healing. You can restore them. Oh, what's your need? You need prayer too? Absolutely, let's pray for you. What you got? You got chronic spinal bifida? You, you, you got cancer? You got a disease I've never heard the name of. Is it terminal? Yeah, it's terminal. I could die from it. I'll be praying for you. God, because if you don't show up right now, I'm going to look like a fool. God, if I don't pray over this, God, if if I don't see you move in this circumstance, I've risked too much, and I'm going to have to walk with my tail between my legs. See, we will have enough faith for the amount in which we're willing to risk. God, you can move in this need. You can meet in that situation. You can, Lord God, open up the door. You can provide a job for me, Lord God, that is just this and that. But no, it can't be like that or this. The level of our faith will determine the level of our blessing. Elijah spoke to this woman. Gather all the vessels. The team, you, can, you guys can come back up. Get the vessels that are empty. And I want you to go into your house. I want you to shut the door. And I want you to pour the oil. See, this woman risked enough by which she grabbed many, many different empty vessels. And she answered the call. She asked God for an answer and God met her in a way that she did not understand or could have perceived ahead of time. Consider her for a second. As she was there inside of her house, the door is shut. The boys are inside. The room is just them. There's a lesson there. It's just them. When God started pouring out the oil, And that little flask that she had, as she is pouring and it kept coming, it did not end. It didn't happen in the public town square. It did not happen inside of the internet or Facebook. It wasn't on Facebook Live or Google Live and live stream. It was happening within the privacy of her own house. It was behind closed door. Why? Because the God who sees in secret will reward you in public. The God who wants us to do things in our own house with him personally, not to develop a spectacle. Not to bring the attention of the masses. Not to to stoke up everyone and everyone be talking about the situation. God wants to do something in the most intimate of our homes. Within the intimate intimacy of our relationship with him. He asked her to start pouring. She fills up and this one's full. 
man, it's still going. She goes and fills another. She fills another. She starts filling and filling. And as she's looking, her house is getting more and more cluttered with oil. She is actually walking over and tipping things over. And there's oil falling all over the place. She is pouring and pouring and the oil does not end. And so she goes and gets to the very last one. And she says to her sons, give me another. There's no more, mom. You filled up all of them. Even that big bucket right there, even that that one, you got this one. It's Mom, it's to the brim. We got to figure out how we're going to insulate this and protect this and seal this thing up later. Don't worry about that. He said, just fill. We don't have to worry about that right now. Just fill. But is there no others? That's it. The Bible tells us that the minute they filled every last one of those empty vessels, the oil stopped church I'm just so blown away at this lady because this lady needed a solution she needed an answer she came seeking the man of God which was her way of seeking God and when she met God she got something more than she would have ever asked for stop and think about this when God showed up he said I'm going to take what you have in your house and I'm going to use what you have so go and grab emptiness get brokenness get the things that you you don't see like it's a possible solution because I got more for you and and the the amount that you asked for all right that's what I'm going to do with that's what I'm going to fill that's how I'm going to expand into your circumstance to the level of your faith what you're willing to risk Stop and think about this. You know, if God told you in the middle of your issue, maybe it's a disease, maybe it's a financial ruin, or maybe it's a relationship brokenness, maybe it's, I don't know, whatever it might be. But when God answers, he meets you at your common need, he asks you what you have in your house, and he will use whatever is already there to establish what he wants to do in your life. It might not make sense, We look at the story and say, what the heck? This lady needed a miracle. She needed to be let go of her debt so her sons would not be enslaved. And God, you poured out oil in her life. Why are you concerned with cooking oil? What is that all about? Like that makes no sense in the middle of my pain and my sorrow. Uh, Hello, God answers in strange ways. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Amen. But stop and think about this. We look at olive oil and we say, what the heck does God want to do with a little bottle of Crisco? But here's the deal. In Bible's time, oil was used for lots of different needs. See, oil was uh, used for cosmetic purposes. It was used for burial purposes. It was used for religious ceremonies. It was used to anoint kings. It was used to anoint priests. It was used to anoint the bodies of the dead. It was used as a means of cooking. It was used for so many things. And if it was properly sealed, because it could last for a long time, if it was properly handled, if it was properly insulated, if it was properly treasured, It could be used as a commodity of exchange. When this woman shows up in the middle of her pain, God gives her a strategy. And what does the man of God say to her? She comes back the next day. She says, hey, or the next week, or I don't know how long, but she comes back when everything was filled. And you know what? If she asked for 2,000 of those buckets, she would have been filling them for longer than a day. Whenever it is that she comes back, she shows up to the man of God and says, hey, I got not a single vessel left and I got oil. I got an oil warehouse in my house. 
I got no space to sit down. I can't receive guests. There's nobody that can walk into my place because there are jars and buckets and containers and pots and pans and cups and, and, and little clay uh, things and vessels and saucers. There's things of oil all over my house. There's not a space left to be filled. All right, lady. Take the oil that you have. Go and sell it and pay off your debt. End of story. No. Verse 7. Go and pay off your debt and live on the rest. Jesus, when I am concerned with you meeting my need, you are concerned with sustaining me. When all I can see is my problem and my immediate need before me and how I want to get over this hurdle in this mountain. What you see, Lord, is a strategy that will take me not only past this mountain, but through every mountain because I've got you till the end of time. She had enough of a nest egg left that she could take care of herself, a woman who would never work, that would take care of her sons and give them an inheritance that these boys would be taken care of. She had enough because God, when we seek his will, we get more than what we seek. Amen. When we come to him, he finds that which we have in our own strength and he can go ahead and do his wonders when we place it in his hand. If we would just have faith. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want you to respond today by coming to this table. We have bread and we have cup. We have something to drink. We got something to, to go down our throats as a symbol of what he's done for us. We know that the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was a promise of the Father. It was a promise of the Son that he would send his spirit to be with us and abide with us. And we have that indwelling spirit of God when we come into relationship with him. And Jesus said this, that he wanted us to always remember that we have him, that he is with us. That even in the middle of the place where we feel like we are empty and we have nothing left to give, we have no more advice, we have no more to offer, we have no more content of value, we have no way to meet the issue or the pain or the sorrow. There is a God that is with us and his presence wants to fill us if we will just empty ourselves of all that we have placed above him. We're doing this in remembrance of him, not in remembrance of our own ability. Not in remembrance of our own ingenuity and our own merit. We're doing this in remembrance of his sacrifice and his grace. So I invite you. This morning. If we could sing that song that we sang earlier. The one that, uh, the rock of ages. He is faithful still. He is faithful. He is still the healer. He is still the provider. He is still the savior. Can we sing that song before we partake of this? My invitation to you is as we're singing this song, I want you to just ask God, can you help me empty myself? I've got a need. I'm feeling empty. 
There's a situation in my family and my friends, in my workplace. There's something happening within my own spiritual walk with you, God. I need to be emptied so that I can be full of you, full of your presence.